0: the word palliative comes from the Latin to cloak and Mm. I really love the idea that our job is to just cloak people with care and love and compassion and empathy and all of those things.
1: Hello, I'm Sean McDonald. you're listening to Blethered and my guest is CEO of Ardgowan Hospice, Graham Gardner. Ardgown Hospice is a place of care for people living in Inverclyde to have been diagnosed with a life-limiting illness such as cancer, heart failure, lung disease, kidney failure or neurological conditions. They provide not only physical and medical support, but also important practical, emotional and social support to patients and their families and carers. Ardgowan holds a very special place in the hearts of those that it served. Now here's a wee word from Ardgowan Ambassador and Greenock native Martin Comston to give you an idea just what the place means to the people of Inverclyde and even further beyond. Hello Sean and everybody listening to Blethered. Uh, just want to say thank you for interviewing Graham and shining a light on the wonderful place that is Argowan Hospice. It's a place very close to my heart. Um, I'll never forget the kindness, um, compassion and professionalism they showed, not just to Uncle Joe in his final days, but to all our family. And um, there's a lot of families in Inverclyde who will tell you a similar story. Um, It's an integral part of the Inverclyde community, Um, not just dealing with patients when they're at their most vulnerable, but also the aftercare they give families who are dealing with the grief. So thank you. Thank you to the wonderful staff. And they don't get any government funding, which is why we kind of need to keep banging the drum. All the best. Now in this episode you'll hear a wee bit about Ardgowan CEO Graham and the hospice itself as we take a look at some of the misconceptions that surround hospices in general and we discuss what Ardgowan means to those who have relied on it and the everyday heroes that ensure it keeps delivering to people in need and we talk about life, death, grief and some of the things that are forever left unsaid. Argowan Hospice is a special place full of special people and I found this to be a very life-affirming conversation where I quite literally cried as much as I laughed I hope you enjoy it even in half as much as I did and if you do then send it on to somebody who you think could do a listening to. and my final word please consider giving Argowan as much support as you can love you Right, so we're in what I would call Scotland's answer to Saint-Tropez. Would you agree with it? What here? <laughs> what in Greenock? I mean, for people who don't know it, like, let's just lie to them and just tell them that there is. It's, it's like the south of France. Yeah, with rain. Yeah. You're, um, with wellies. People will be immediately picking up a wee tinge of an English accent. Yeah. You've, you've got a very interesting and unique sort of family history. To talk us
0: through it. Yeah, so I was born in Priswick just down the coast from where I am now. And um, basically when I was 11, we moved to Kent because we had a family bakery, Gardeners of Presswick, it was called. And uh, uh, my dad fell out with his dad and he decided that he needed to leave. So it was either Australia or Kent. And uh, oh, Kent won. <laughs> you, you must be cursing them every day. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, no, I don't like snakes. So I'm quite chilled. It's fine. Oh, yeah. uh, no, so I moved down to Tunbridge and Kent. So 11 to 18 year old, I lived in Kent, but I'm now living in Guruk, and this is my 42nd address. So I've done a lot of moving around. Wow, bloody hell. Yeah, so I spent a lot of time around Nottingham and Nottinghamshire. So about 30 years of my life was around there. So actually, bizarrely, uh, my family have ended up around Nottingham so like my mum and dad are still around and they're in Nottingham and my daughter still lives in Nottingham uh, my son lives in Norwich which is kind of just around the way um but my sisters are in, in Nottingham and, and Leicester so around that me midlands right, so okay. um yeah how so how far two addresses though like what's i just moved around a lot and and um some of it is cuz I'm um, crap at relationships. So I've had several marriages. <laughs> um and some... right, just blame them. You're not the common denominator. Y- yeah, no, no, I am absolutely <laughs> am. Uh yeah, just yeah. I kinda of warn people don't no don't get in a relationship. Um uh so yeah, just lots of moving around and and when the kids were young and I and I was struggling a bit because I was I had the kids half time mm. and wasn't earning very much and therefore you're kind of moving from place to place just to kind of keep your head going above water and stuff like that yeah um and i've had a bit of a my career has been a little bit like four or five phases so you know my last job was in london so my kids they're in their 30s and stuff and they're getting on with their lives quite rightly and so i had an opportunity i was living in nottingham and i had this opportunity to work in london And at the time what I was doing, um, I was supporting charities um, because I'm a social entrepreneur at heart and lots of charities want to think that they're a bit entrepreneur, but they're not really and they don't really know how to do it. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time, about nine years of my life, just supporting a pile of charities to think a little bit differently. I called it being entrepreneur without losing your soul. So that idea that, you can still think about making a bit of money without having to sell your soul to Satan or something. And um, so I got a lot of work just helping people think through business plans and business models and all of that kind of stuff. And I suddenly picked up some work in London and I kind of always wanted to live in London. There's something about living in London that just really appealed to me.
1: I'm completely enamored by the place. I love it. Yeah, do you? No, I love it.
0: I spent the majority of last year working there. Yeah. There's uh, an energy. Yeah in London that you don't get anywhere else and you know like so I just started and I remember uh, I would drive down from Nottingham work all day and then either drive home at night uh, or stay in a hotel if 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 I was earning decent enough money I would stay in a hotel and so the number of times I'd end up at like Ronnie Scott's at 11 o'clock at night
1: love it Ronnie and Scott's people I'm
0: astonishing
1: people that won't be aware as like an old jazz club um, in yeah. Soho
0: yeah. across the road to the
1: Groucho Stunning. Club. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, and I mean, tickets are really expensive if you go downstairs and you go downstairs and it's a really, like a 70s cabaret place with tables with wee lamps on them. And you see these acts that are like top of the game. Um, so one of the ones, that I, so I'm a drummer. As a kid, I would play drums and nice. still love playing drums. Um, and one of my heroes, Billy Cobham, was playing and I went and it was 80-odd quid a ticket And you couldn't get a ticket. So I went at 5 to 11 because he was about to start his second set at 11 o'clock. I went at 5 to 11 and I said, I don't suppose there's a wee ticket going. And they just laughed. The box office just laughed at me and said, what do you think? What do you think? You're kidding, you know. And uh, I was like, all right, okay, it was worth a try. And the security guy says to me, he says, hey, come here. He says, go back, ask for a ticket for upstairs. It'll cost you a fiver. And what will happen is, Upstairs, they used to have all the up-and-coming jazz and blues. Um, so it was youngsters and stuff. But he says, what, what always happens is the guys who've been playing downstairs, like the main acts, the big the big names, because they, they're all musos. They love playing. So they'll go upstairs about two in the morning, and they'll just play. So at two in the morning, <laughs> I'm just watching Billy Cobham. I am literally as far like, as... as Far as you and I are, which mm. is what 10 foot, six foot, something yeah. like that, not very good at it. But watching this drummer who I've idolized for years, love it, it was astonishing. So, five quid, go upstairs after 11.
1: Somebody that does a lot for our guy, Martin Compston, yeah, he tells a great story, and I'm about to retell it. It's not mine to tell, but it's, I love telling it to people. And he told this to Graham Hunter on the, his big interview podcast that he was getting ready for Soccer Aid in London. Yeah. And he, he had like a curfew and stuff and you had to be in bed and I think he really wanted to be fit to play. Maybe he had like a wee injury he had to be in training the next day. <clears throat> and Paolo Nutini phoned him like, "Yo, what are you doing? He said, I'm in this hotel in London. He's like, right, cool. So am I, come to Ronnie Scott's. I'm pretty sure it was Ronnie Scott's. You can correct me if it wasn't. But he's like, come to Ronnie Scott's. Got a surprise. And he's like, what is it? And he says, I can't tell you, but just come out like you, you'll you regret it if yeah. you don't and he's like I can't like fucking pure security in the doors and stuff and he's like mate listen to what I'm telling you you have to come down here if you don't you'll regret it so he's like right fine and he sneaks out the back of the hotel <laughs> gets to Ronnie Scott's yeah fucking Prince comes out no it was that when he was doing that stint in Camden aye must have been oh and wow Prince comes out and I think he said he plays for about three hours and again you're like you're yards from him because it's, yeah. like oh, it's like tiny. a week it's like a club upstairs is tiny yeah and oh it's, that's astonishing and I like I had a I don't know if it's my catastrophic way of thinking I catastrophizing stuff I'm like <laughs> I would have killed myself if I learned that I passed up on like getting to go and see yeah. Prince and
0: being like yards from him yeah that would be absolutely and, incredible i mean that is the thing about london i mean okay you know i don't have Paolo natini ringing me up saying come and see prince but, no me mean either but those moments like i love live comedy I absolutely adore live comedy yeah me too and i really miss it here i you have to go into glasgow and mm. and it's really weird i was talking to somebody the other day where i used to think nothing of because i was living in brixton and I used to think nothing of going from Brixton to Islington to a comedy club, right, on the tube. Just do that, or drive or whatever. But, uh, you know, didn't think anything of it. Take an hour. Everything in London takes an hour. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so you have to allow an hour for everything. And and I would think nothing of it. Once, twice a week, you'd do it. Because I love live comedy so much. I live in Goorick. It takes about 45 minutes to get into Glasgow. Mm. But the thought of going from Goorick to Glasgow is just like, oh... It's yeah, yeah it's, there's something different about the energy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think as well because you look at proximity. I
1: remember I I finished up doing I was working in fuck wherever these studios, I don't know, wherever they, maybe Holborn or something. Yeah. And I had to go and meet somebody in Hackney. Oh, that's a that, slip. So I'm like looking at my phone and I'm like that's not that far away. Like cause I'm looking in the map. Fucking hell man, it's like yeah. 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like halfway through it's actually Jake Warren, Jake if you're listening. You pissed me off that day. <laughs> it was it his fault? <laughs> but I was like just sweating and stuff, and I was yeah. cracking up. And I think because I thought it was it was so nearby that um, <clears throat> you know this will be easy to get to, but it's absolutely not. No. Um, I, for full transparency, realised that we weren't recording there for a second. But you had just started talking about the the diversity in London and yeah. how interesting it was and. The, we've seen the, there was a primary school
0: 36 languages are yeah. being spoken and, it, and like when you're in meetings in like Lambeth meetings you would always at the end kind of go so how does how does anything that we've talked about impact on diversity here you know yeah. what I mean? and when I I was uh, chief exec of an age UK age UK Lambeth and so I was working with older people mm-hmm. and when I was there the demographics were like for the first time uh, in terms of over 65s 51% were black Mm. whereas that and that needle if you like had moved on the scale yeah and the shot so like that vibrancy of all you know like you come out of brixton tube station if you've ever done it's really worth just doing just for the experience coming out of brixton tube station and you've usually got a steel drum somebody (laughs) banging away a steel drum you've usually got some pentecostal preacher telling you to repent there's usually a (laughs) muslim preacher you know and there are restaurants from around the world within about a 200-yard radius. You you know, think yeah. of a place in the world you fancy their food. You'll find that around there. It's an extraordinary vibe. I yeah, mean, really you is. know, energy. And then you come, I moved to Guruk, and you're like, okay, this is different. You know, in, and I mean, one of the reasons for me coming coming home, obviously, this is the job, but I love, I miss the sea. So I grew up in Presswick spend my life on the shore, you know, in the sea. Um, looking back, I probably spent more time in my wellies than I remember, but, <laughs> uh, you know, because it's, it pisses down a lot. Um, so being next to the sea is beautiful and lovely. Yeah. But I really, that vibrancy is just, it's just something that London has that you just, you know. How does the move for you end up coming then? Because that is a mad change, isn't it? From yeah, one it is. To it's Euro. a bit bonkers. So as i I was chief executive of this charity in London. Um during Covid we became really frontline. Like we went from working with 17,000 people a year to 77,000 people a year. God yeah. It was extraordinary. My team were my team were just beyond amazing. Um we changed all of our services. We we took over the helpline for the council. You know, it was it was extraordinary. And I think after that then you've got trustees kind of going well you know you've had your fun playing around with ideas and stuff and I'm like, what do you mean we've had a fun we we helped a whole pile of human beings and we we did it with we did it with a lot of humor but we did it you know we worked really hard and it's just then well no you need to then go back and change some of these things and i'm like really do i and so i think there was and you could see actually there was a, quite a lot of leaders moved after covid because they were they, you'd kind of been in that space where you were really full on really whatever and then you needed another challenge years yeah. time so i had been there about 6 years it was time it was just time um, i'd done what i was there to do and um i've always had a bit of an interest and worked alongside death dying grief loss i've worked in mental health and homelessness and the the themes that run through that are loss, you know um so I decided that well i would um I'd look for a new challenge. I had this really weird weekend when so my sister lives in Leicester, but she's the youngest, and she's still got a lot of really strong connections with people up here, and I don't because um i when we left, I didn't come back to Scotland until I was sixteen. And then I didn't, after that, I only was there for a week and then I, for a mm-hmm. holiday. And then I didn't come back again for years until my kids were young and I would take them up and go, there's my school, there's, <laughs> you know, that kind of shit. Yeah. Um, so what I, um, uh, I, she said, oh, I'm going to meet the family. Why don't you come along? Because I said, oh, I don't really know them. I really ought to be a bit more connected. So I did this weekend. And as I drove into Preswick, because she'd been there for a while, her and her family had been, there for a couple of weeks and I was just joining them for a weekend and I was driving in and as I was driving into Pressway I went oh this is home and that really you know like yes. like I said I've had 42 yeah, yeah. addresses so that was a real kind of shock for me that I'm like oh, yeah, taking that back that But so I spent this weekend and I kind of spent this weekend I mean I went to Somerset Park CA United I took my nephew who was 16 sorry to hear that yeah I know <laughs> it's a cross we all bear uh but, um, but I was there in the stand and like looking at this place where I had a season ticket that was just like ten yards away, and going. It's been forty odd years, like fifth, yeah, forty forty five years since I've been here. Come it was on, amazing. It's and I had these two old guys behind me, me and my, me and my nephew, um, and they were they were coming out with swear words that I hadn't heard before, and I, you know, I do swear quite a bit. And, <laughs> Uh, there was some words there. I'd not, <laughs> you know, I mean? <laughs> and, uh, but they kept saying, "At least they're keeping the line." At least they're keeping the line. Anyway, half time, I turned round and I just went, "Well, at least they're keeping the line." Eh? Do you know, what I mean, <laughs> they were, so we we're having a bit of a laugh, and I just said to them, "My, I, I, I was, I used to, as a kid, I was here," and you know, and this guy just went, "But welcome back, son." Uh, and nice. it really kind of, I mean, anyway, it's bonkers, but it really stuck in the crop. So I had this weekend driving out on the way back. back down to London, and I realised I hadn't had breakfast, I got a really long drive ahead, and so I stopped at this cafe in a wee village outside air, and as I'm sat down, this camera crew come across, and I'm like, okay, what's going on? And um, it turns out the woman who ran the cafe had won an award for what she'd been doing during COVID, because apparently she was amazing, she'd run all sorts of things to help people, and it was amazing. And they just wanted to do a wee bit of her Me taking an order and just to be better filming to Mm -hmm. make it work. And as we got chat, I was chatting to this woman and I was telling her about that whole thing about coming back and you know, and it's made me think about it. And I actually said out loud, I think I might have to look for a job around here. (laughs) And then suddenly this the director of the the camera crew came up to me and says, Would you mind being interviewed? Because the other programme we're making at the minute is about returning Scots. And so I ended up doing this interview. BBC Scotland. Oh way yeah. About a returning Scotland. I'm going, look, I haven't, I haven't made up my mind or anything. Do you know what I mean? It was literally... I had literally just said it. And then I'm talking to a camera crew about it. And as I was talking, I was kind of going, that's not the worst idea you've ever had. Mm. You know what I mean? That's amazing. And so I am somebody who's... Like, I do make bold choices <clears throat> about yeah. things. You know, I've, I've had career choices I've made that have been quite bold. That's some... I mean... That's some sliding doors shit. Do you it know, is. I think? Absolutely. That's like
1: <laughs> proper fate.
0: Because I was got in the car and I rang my sister, and I went, Nick, this has happened. This is a wee bit odd. I've yeah. actually said out loud, you know. That I mean, I'm so a, I started to look. Then, what's a good? What would be a good job for me? I'm a big believer in
1: those types of things. Yeah, that's yeah. Th- there's something that's went like that here. By the way, make this happen like some pure. It's a wonderful life <laughs> type
0: Yeah, well, scenario. Well, I'm one of those sweary people with faith. And yeah. uh I have to say there's just been a, that 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 sense of you're in the right place, you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Has been with that as soon as I made that decision. So how quickly did you find the opportunity then? I'm hoping uh, that So that... I looked at uh, so it was either gonna be a hospice or homelessness and I looked at our hospice, actually Ayrshire Hospice, but they were doing a big capital rebuild at the time. And I'm not very good at that stuff. I'm I'm about services and yeah. service provision. And so I was chatting to the guys that they got who were doing the headhunt or the recruiting, you know, that kind of agency thing. And I went, nah, that's not that's not for me. But thanks for you know, thanks for the conversation kind of thing. And about three months later they rang me and they just went think this might suit you more and it was this place it was a gowan and i'm like well it's west coast of scotland so that's big tick you know just yeah. up the, just up the coast from Best cost, i can pop down on a saturday to do somerset park yeah <laughs> <laughs> which i've only done once since oh, I've been here. yeah i've only done it once and it got to half time and the game was so awful i left <laughs> <laughs> and ended up going to a pub in presley to oh me god you've got rangers this weekend don't you yeah we do yeah, Scottish Cup, Scott Brown, yeah, now
1: uh, Celtic legend Scott Brown is their United manager. For yeah. anybody that's unaware, so that gives it an extra... A wee, wee bit d- of
0: an edge. A wee bit of space. Yeah, I'll just sit behind a sofa somewhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're, they're a wee bit on form, so I don't think that's going to go well yeah, for Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to go well.
0: So yeah, so, so this job came up and um, for me, this felt like a place that needed a big hug and <laughs> um, needed to think about modernising and services and stuff. And that's kinda of what I do. Um so yeah. And
1: let's well let's get a wee sense of two things. I'll ask you this one first. What's a hospice? How would you define a hospice? I, I think there are a lot of misconceptions where people say, I actually feel really guilty saying this, but it's where people come to die. Yeah. That is what kind of people think, but it's so much more than that.
0: Yeah, it is, absolutely. And I think it's, let's deal with the, can we talk about the misconceptions before we talk about what it is because it's easier. Yeah, let's talk about those misconceptions. So, so one of the biggest misconceptions is that our gown is a place where people come to die. Yeah. Now that is true for about 40% of our patients, but, but for about 60% of the patients that we have in the inpatient unit, they are coming in here for symptom control, uh, pain relief, um, sometimes just good old respite from the situation the in at home yeah um the other thing is that people thought this place is only for people with some kind of cancer and that's not true um, we are steadily changing that over the last year or so and we will be doing more about that but for example in january we had three patients three or four patients with motor neuron disease and so so we really are changing the that what the other thing is we have a whole pile of other services so like we have a a community hub which is a team a nursing team multi-disciplinary team actually because there's a physio in there and they support people in their own homes Mm -hmm. so that is often about helping people a bit earlier in the journey and you know lots of people say that they want to go and die at home and and it's about helping people supporting people uh, supporting people make the most of life while they've got a while they're in palliative care And palliative care would be when a a medical person has said you've got we expect you to die within the next 12 months but you know we help loads of people that way and then we've got our well-being hub which has counselors spiritual care um, children's workers we've got well-being support workers so that's a whole pile of stuff there that we're reaching out to so we've got an amazing schools project which goes out into schools and talks to teachers particularly about how do you cope if you've got somebody a child in your class who's had a parent die or a re- relative die because Inverclyde is uh, got hit very hard by COVID yeah. so there are you know, we've got huge issues around drug and alcohol use. Fairly high levels of suicide. So the chances of a child knowing somebody who has died is quite high. And yet the support needs to be there to help. So it's how do we help parents and teachers and, um, and other classmates talk in a way. The problem with... The problem with the whole thing about death, dying, grief, and loss is that we are really crap at talking about it. Yeah, uh, We're not very good. We get embarrassed. I find it terrifying. Yeah. I find it really terrifying. But it's, it's going to happen to all of us. Yeah. So we need to have more rope. We need to have the ability to have positive conversations because the problem is sometimes we see people coming into the inpatient unit and they haven't told their family. They're coming in for end-of-life care and they're still not being honest. You know, and you're like, holy moly, that's that's heavy. So then suddenly you're doing really difficult conversations, but you're doing them when you are already very ill. You know, yeah. And life is not. You're probably not thinking perfectly straight.
1: Yeah. So. I feel like I do try and look at it this way, like death in general and grief and loss. And it's kind of like you can you can go. Oh, we're all going to die. Everybody I know is going to die. Or you can go, we're all going to die and everybody I know is going to die. And and it's kind of shifting that needle a wee bit of being like, do you know what? Yes, that's true. And it's bloody tough and complex, but it's like, enjoy the ride a wee
0: bit. I I do think if you, I think if you work around death and dying grief and loss, you kind of appreciate life. Mm-hmm. And our one of our goals is to actually encourage people to live life to the absolute max. Yeah. Um, within the limits of of what's going on for them. I always kind of I've
1: had a few people that have like, close to me that have lost kind of loved ones recently, yeah. or friends and stuff. And the kind of thing I try to say is like, you don't want to overstep the mark of being sensitive, but it's come up with us saying. I feel guilty about, like I laughed and I felt really guilty and or I, I enjoyed something and I felt really bad. And it's like, no, if that person could come to you, they would grab you and shake you and be like, no, you have to squeeze every, you have to yeah. laugh every
0: minute you yeah. can. And There's a beautiful uh, video on Instagram that's been doing the rounds and it's two sisters from America whose mum died a year ago. And they started making a video about the things that they've cocked up in the last year since mum's died right and it's like one of the sisters goes I didn't know I had to have my own car insurance because you've always done it mum <laughs> you know I mean? and so I've been driving around for months with no car insurance <laughs> you know what I mean? and it, it, it's really worth a find because yeah. it is it, it's from the heart to people because they know their mum would find it funny they mm. know that if their mum had been there that she'd be sitting there going you idiots you know what I mean <laughs> you absolute idiots um and it's beautiful and it's for me it's real you know um losing somebody that you're very attached to somebody that you love is you know uh, is incredibly difficult yeah it's overwhelming and you know i always seem to think of it in terms of like waves you know the waves at the beginning are really high and the you know and they, they overwhelm you and it's you know and people can really find it very challenging those waves will still always be there, but they'll be more, become more manageable. You've got the occasional storm, you know, like birthdays. Christ- Christmas is a challenging time for people who've yeah. lost somebody that they love, you know. So I
1: interviewed them. Um, I probably I should actually, people hear it in my voice. I'm already starting to get emotional and I've not even asked anything. So that just sums me <laughs> up. <laughs> and I'd have to just embrace this. I'm an emotional yep. person. And probably my voice will crack, like, multiple times now. But I interviewed uh, a friend of mine. Her name's Chelsea Alexander. And the episode was called How Do You Deal With Grief? Or, or How Do You Deal With Losing a Parent or Something? I can't remember the title now. But she's suddenly lost her mum. And right. she felt that she was there at a point where she could speak about it. And I always like to preface it by saying, like, "What's well, not grief porn. I find that horrible. But it was more of being like, okay, like, it's never discussed, like, can you provide a wee bit of a roadmap? And she, I think she described it as, like, grief has been, like, sort of, say it's a box, and there's a very large ball in it, and every time it touches the sides, then it causes a great amount of pain. And she's like, over yep. time, the ball shrinks, yep. and it, it hits less. It can sometimes just hit the side, and you're like, oh, wow, where did that come yep. from? That was painful. But it happens less and less, and it becomes sort of, sort of more manageable. I think maybe discussing it and confronting it probably is the first way
0: of of Ooh, getting to grips with it. We, we do need to talk about it a lot more. Yeah. You know, we need to be better. I mean, you know, you think about all the words we use for somebody dying, they've passed over, they've <laughs> yeah. lost we've lost them. Where where have they gone? You know what <laughs> I mean? Oh, they've gone to be with Jesus. No, I you know, I'm yeah. That we talk about things like that like quite glibly. And even if you don't have a particular face, you're have got, you know, that doesn't help. We just, you know, the, the, we need to use the die word and dead. Yeah. And because that's what's happened. And, but we need help to do that sometimes because as a society, we are generally crap at, at all of those conversations. And it, you know, I get the emotional bit. I mean, DIY SOS comes on and I'm off. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he just needs to say, I'm in, I'm in Chester today and I've just met this family and I'm roaring. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, but, I saw a video of a dog that adopted a baby monkey
1: and I was like, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like the monkey's parents abandoned it and the dog kind of took it under its wing and I'm sitting there and fucking pure crying. Like, that's, so, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's so nice. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm very often I'm sharing something, go, that's me off. You yeah. know what I mean? Right. Uh, so, you know, there is something there for me about the wholeness of life and that we have this mix of stuff. There's some really happy stuff, some yeah. amazing stuff. The fact, the fact that you are grieving means that you've loved. Yeah, it's true. And that's a beautiful thing. I think it was, um, it was an actor. It might've been Andrew Scott, whose mum died. And he talked about, he says, I, "I I don't mind talking about my mum," and these te- he started to cry and he said, "These tears are here because I loved." And you're like, "That's beautiful." What <laughs> are you trying tie- to tie- do to me? Fucking <laughs> <I> hell! <hear. laughs> Sorry. Yeah. but no, it's but it's true. The tears are there because we've had an attachment. You know, grief happens when we're attached to something. Yeah. Now here we're talking about people. But it could be your job, it could be your housing, it could be your mental health, it could be, you know... could be 10 in a row for Celtic. We've made an arse of that one. Yeah, all right. <laughs> um, it could be. But you know what I mean? It, no, yeah, totally. It, it's that if you've got an attachment to something and that gets broken, then we grieve. Yeah. And somehow we've got to remember that we had a very beautiful attachment. Yeah. Now, that, that might be different with Celtic or whatever, but uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> Not completely. Um I mean... You know, I watched the the Scotland rugby on Saturday. <laughs> Did we win? Did we get beat? Well, we won by one point, but we were twenty-seven nil up at one point. And it get to twenty-seven twenty-six. That's
1: the most Scotland thing. And ever it is the most Scotland thing <laughs> because
0: there was so many fouls in the second half. Yeah. And I thought, oh my god, we're gonna we're gonna lose. How can we possibly lose that? And then I'm going, that's being a Scot. Yeah. And I, you know, I've always had that sense of being a Scot is really you know. <laughs> It's really there for me, but there is that kind of loss, you know. Yeah. So, you know, and there is something, you know. Loss is part of life, so we need to we need to find ways in which we can talk about it. And we can we can talk about it positively and embrace it.
1: Yeah, it's the avoidance. I think I do, I've probably avoid saying the word die or died. Yeah, most Even, people do. And I think in my head, it's because it's it's so final mm. and it's so blunt, and I feel like it's maybe saying to
0: somebody. But, yeah, that, that's what's happened. Mm. And we're and all in that way. The other thing is, is when somebody, we know somebody who's, say, somebody has had a partner die, we end up not talking to them because we don't know what to say. Yeah. You know? The and oh, we avoid horrible. them. And actually, it's just so much better to say, I have no idea what to say, but I'm here. Yeah. There is something about presence, about being present. Definitely. And being in that space with another human where you get the chance to kind of go I'm just here I have no idea what to say I can't make this better for you I haven't got a magic wand but I'm here
1: another pal of mine I had on Meg McHugh she's a DJ in Capital Radio down in London and her dad died quite it was pretty unexpectedly yeah and uh, she didn't get to make it in time and stuff and god wow. again I was sitting here in the studio like fucking tears man yeah but when she spoke about people not wanting to mention it to her or not wanting to bring it up in fear of making her feel bad, she was like... I'm thinking about it 24-7 anyway, so I'd actually feel better if you kind of yeah, mentioned I'm it. I'm already
0: at my worst. Yeah. I'm already feeling as bad as yeah. I'm ever going nice to feel. probably You mentioning it ain't going to make me any worse. In <laughs> fact, it's going to make you feel better to yeah, know somebody's exactly. thinking about me. So we need to encourage us to have that, you know, to not be afraid yeah. to sit. So a lot of what we do at the hospice is being present. It's about being with people. Now, and, and just, there's something about sitting with people in their pain that I'm really thinking a lot about Mm -hmm. in the last couple of weeks, I've been doing a lot of thinking about that, that actually a lot of what we do here is to sit with people in our pain, provide an environment that's safe and comfortable uh, for people who are dying or for people who are in so much pain that they need, they need somewhere special to just get on top of it. to support people out in the community who just need help thinking through what's right for them and, you know, being comfortable and, allowing people space to get on with their lives. Um, But there is something there for me about us just being able to sit with people in their pain. That is a beautiful... So I always say to staff, we've been... And I've said this to staff wherever, whether it's in homelessness or mental health or whatever, or with the older folk, we have been given the beautiful privilege of walking alongside another human being. That privilege is there. So we just are there to share and we just share ourselves a bit of love a bit of compassion a bit of care we'll have some special knowledge in a particular area of life so if we can help that's great but at the heart of it is a beautiful privilege that we've got of walking alongside another human being and that for me is so powerful and what that does for me is it changes that power dynamic so it's not that we know best. It's not that we're, we're the experts. Ta-da, we're here like on a wee horse riding in, going, we can save the world. It's nothing like that. It is that very simple idea that we've been given a beautiful privilege of walking alongside another human being. I mean, that's special. That is. I mean, the impact that that's had
1: on people, we'll, I mean, we'll just go through some of the things. I love when people get involved when I put out a wee request and yep. you get a massive volume and it. Thanks for sharing that to get people to get involved. Yeah, humbling. But we'll come right down to, so I've come in. Is it Patricia that's on the yep. front desk? And just She's a volunteer receptionist. Yeah, and I was asked, said to her, Patricia, how long have you worked here? And she said, oh, I'm a volunteer. And I just knew it was coming. I was like, how long? She said, 10 years. And I said, why have you stayed so long? And she said, because my husband was cared for here and she wanted to give back. And like the fact that 10 years on, she's still here on yep. a Friday morning, kind of doing her bit. And like you think, Wow, like what what an incredible place, and that seems to be
0: the kind of the message from everybody. Um, Yeah, we've got a driver, we've got a patient transport service, which is not it's it's a very different because it's not that we're not providing care. What we're doing is we've got volunteer drivers who take people from Inverclyde up to Glasgow for treatment for things like chemo and radiotherapy. Right? Are we going to talk about Jim here? It's extraordinary. Yeah, and the number of years that these drivers have been doing it. The number of miles they've done. uh, 70,000 miles a year. That's nice. Our drivers to help people in Inverclyde, which is one of the poorest parts of Scotland. You know, there's areas of deprivation here that are absolutely top of the list. And we help them get up for their appointments. So that's extraordinary. The front page of the Greenock
1: Telegraph. Yeah. Last Saturday, so only six days ago, um, we've got Jim Gannon, 81, and he's just stopped... Um f- after nearly three decades of ferrying people for the medical treatment, as a way of saying th- fucking hell, I'm about to start crying again. <laughs> as a way of saying thank you for the love shown to his wife in her yeah. final days, like yeah. twenty eight years. Yeah. So it's extraordinary, fucking John Major was the prime minister. You don't think had Euro ninety six happened? Maybe. And I don't know when it's still, like all these things like that's so long ago. Yeah, that's yeah. a few lifetimes for people. It's a f- and and he's he's done that that entire time and,
0: and there'll be loads of people that are doing there that there is it's is amazing and that, uh, it is. It, uh, this place is incredibly <clears throat> humbling I mean when you get being the chief exec here is an extraordinary you know I've talked about privilege and it is extraordinary it's, it's incredibly humbling right Yeah. because no matter where I go in Inverclyde if they find out what I do there's a story I get in a taxi and I go can you take me to the hospice and they'll go oh are you seeing somebody? No, no, I work there. Oh, what an amazing place. You looked after my brother. You looked after my wife. You looked up. you know, the stories that I get everywhere. Is it, you know, I'm sitting, sitting there the spinny and guru, having a pint. <laughs> somebody finds out what I do. I'm just reading my book. And this guy goes, puts his hand on my shoulder and goes, it's a marvellous place. And you're like, shit, that's really heavy. You know, it is incredibly humbling. And, all those stories, the volunteers that we've got who have volunteered for years and years and years—extraordinary stuff. You know, you know. I'm lucky I get through a box set. You know what I mean? <laughs> and they're there for 28 years. Or yeah. 20. It, it's so humbling. And then you start hearing some of the stories, like you know, like the post that went out and people were responding, all the comments about. Yeah.
1: Do you know some you of the yeah? I read mean, a few. Yeah, yeah. So many replies when I what just I wanted to know, I was like, what does this what does this mean to people? And the general gist of it all is people saying like it's there for everybody in Inverclyde. I've been a volunteer for many years. I've seen family and friends coming through. I and mean, where did someone so Julianne Mitchell, she said, where do you begin trying to convey just how special this place is? From the staff who work in the community to the amazing team within the Ergown Hospice. Too many angels to mention. To the team who wrap their care around <laughs> I don't know why I'm getting upset reading this. To the team who wrap their care around you when you're in the depths of grief. I think for me it was making my loved ones feel that they mattered and they were treated with such care and respect mm-hmm. at such difficult times. Not only giving comfort to their patients, but to their families too. They think of everything. You never forget this. And then you've got people saying like, I thought this one was lovely. So a uh, alien find later, and she said she could write a novel, and her loved one Stevie was really reluctant to come in, but his requests were met that she could stay overnight, and he could get <laughs> as many pass-outs as he could manage to watch his beloved football team. And they you know, were getting him out to, I think, the Greenock, the Greenock Celtic Supporters Club, and there's so many of those, like, I actually have to stop because I'll just keep getting... I'll keep getting overly emotional and I'm going to start pissing people off because they'll be like, mate, get to the point. But the the overall gist of it is just saying like, that we could never have goodbye. Billy Glancy, his partner Lorraine died. And he says me and my daughter would never have coped. But it was easing the pain and heartache. And the common theme is everybody saying it's a sanctuary. It's a place of happiness where there's a lot of sadness. Yeah and and that they just feel completely wrapped in like that care yeah. I think do you know why I think I'm getting dead emotional because as I'm reading it one you relate it to yourself yep. but also I think that it's very easy t- to be like a total cynic and be like the world is shit. the world is shite in a lot of ways but yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing in a lot of ways as well but yep. you, you, you focus on the, the negatives don't you I think it's maybe human nature and when you realise that like there's this community of people who have the best intentions, and that everybody's all sort of pulling together. And that God, I think it was Colette was telling me Colette Cameron, who works here, was telling me that for although the capacity for you know patients and stuff to be, and visitors to be in is is very low, yeah, that the entire community, everybody knows somebody, yeah, and everyone's got their own
0: connection and their, yeah. own, their own story, and I composed myself, for, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean it is it's, it's totally moving it is extraordinary i mean but i we always talk about being person centered right so in other mm-hmm. words we put the the patient at the heart of everything we do right what i love about this place is we don't just talk about it we actually do it yeah no i mean okay there'll be times <laughs> where we don't get everything right but the vast majority of the time the stories are amazing we had a guy come in he was coming in just for a bit of respite been in for the weekend and he said, I can't have my mates round at home because there's not enough room. You know, you've got hospital beds and all yeah. that sort of nonsense. So the nurses here all organized for him and he was poorly and they, were, they had to learn how to use certain machines and all that sort of stuff. And he had his six mates come round and they had a carry out and they had music and they were, you know, having the Chinese and and that was beautiful. And, yeah. and and I know how hard the staff worked to make that happen. But they all wanted it to happen because they knew for that guy, he needed to see his mates. Now he that. went home a few days later um, and he, sadly he's he's got a degenerative disease. So we'll be seeing him again at some point. But that meant he feels, because he's a younger guy and he feels he can trust us because he knows that we put him at the middle and we'll just do whatever we can around that. And it's fantastic. It's just it's just it's phenomenal. kindness. Oh, it's extraordinary.
1: On another level. It's extraordinary. Do you know you've even down to like so I asked Colette, I was like, Why why do you work here? Yep. Cause you could work in loads of different places. And she won't mind me sharing this, but Colette's kinda she's she's very open about it. She very suddenly lost her brother Kieran. she lost, I shouldn't have said that, her brother Kieran suddenly died really unexpectedly and as you would expect like it it had just a severe impact on her and I I said like why and then I said I hope you don't mind me asking this but is it in a way connected to that is that like another motivating factor and um, she had basically said that she didn't want people to feel if she could reduce the feeling of what she felt in other people then that would be like this massive Mm. plus point for her and it's it shows, like, within a horrible situation, some really great things can continue to come from that, like yeah. a reverberating impact that just never yeah. stops. Yeah.
0: What you recognise with death is that there's life. Mm. And that sounds a wee bit weird, <laughs> but even saying it out loud, it sounded a wee bit weird. But around death, there's life. You know, the life goes on. People keep living. Yeah, and actually your life is fundamentally changed because of loss and what happens very often is people go and it comes back to what you said at the very beginning which is I now need to look at life differently because I know it's finite I know that it, mu- it will end but I'm going to make the most I'm going to have as much as I can squeeze into life as I can and there's part of because we know that the person that we've lost that's what they would want for you Mm. and whilst it's really hard and it is you know and we see people who are stuck in their grief you know our our counselors work with people who've just stuck in a very bad place but when you see people getting unstuck it's a beautiful thing because they then start embracing life and you and it is I mean that image of the box and the wee ball in the box yeah it's, you know, it's like the waves and the waves get smaller. so- It, it fundamentally, death fundamentally changes us.
1: Yeah. it's I mean, it's such a nice way to look at it. And, and it, because, yeah, it's just, it's the avoidance of it, isn't it? Yeah. It's the avoidance of it. And do you know, God, the stories of, you know, impact and stuff that like this place has had continues to, they keep popping up as well. Colette was sending me a voice message because I'd said like, I was like, just, I was like, just ramble, just speak. And, I let you do that without um, needing prompted anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I was like, just tell me. So wherever she was, she was in like Tesco or something or some shop. And um, she was sort of talking about the hospice and what it means to her. And then she started trailing off a wee bit. And then she's like, hold on. And she stopped. And then the next voice note, she's like, you'll never believe this. She said, I was aware of this couple looking at me. And I thought, oh God, I must be speaking really loudly. And a woman came over to her and she's like, you were at um, the hospice the other day. She said, like, Yeah, yeah, I worked there. She said, I was at the book club, and both of them were in buying their book at the same time for so this book club that had been set up. And Colette really kindly was like, I'm going to buy your book for you. Well, and then beautiful. they just had this lovely, wee moment. And she explained, I don't know if it was her partner, had had um, had been coming in here, and she said maybe 10 years prior. And she was saying as well, like, and she's going, just, You cannot go anywhere. I think if you were to stand in the street and stop somebody and go, tell me your story, they would all yeah. they would all kind of have yeah, one. It, it
0: happens all the time.
1: Oh, that's nice, isn't it?
0: We've been talking a lot about how humbling it is about the people's experience of this place. But the thing that's really humbling for me is that the community support us so much, right? So we get about 32% of our income comes from the Scottish government through the NHS and um, the rest of it we have to find so that's about 1.9 million a year we need to find and that's grants it's our shops uh, so every time somebody buys from our shops or plays our lottery or um, donates or does a kilt walk or all of that. that all helps I and mean, it's extraordinary and I'm totally overwhelmed by how generous. An area which has is one of the poorest areas in Scotland. You know, we have in some of our poorest areas, we have people who are paying playing the lottery for a pound a week, and but that money makes a huge difference. Do you know what? It's an extraordinary thing that this community just rally round and support us had this conversation with somebody
1: yesterday on another recording and we were talking about it and saying that the the poorest areas are always the most generous and it's not a cliche and it's not like a trope and i think it's a combination of being naturally generous of spirit but also knowing what it's like to have nothing yeah and and wanting to kind of all rally around each other when it's when it's needed yeah I'm, but, I'm not saying that people in affluent areas aren't generous, but if you compare the areas side by side, then especially by you know when you're looking at it sort of proportionately, yeah,
0: oh, that would that would be a fascinating research. I'm sure somebody's done it somewhere. I've just I've never found yeah. it, but I'm sure somebody's done it when you looked at a rata, they give yeah, you, you know, like percentage of income given. Be I mean, it's higher. extraordinary, and but it's also the things like you know they organise games nights and you know. Whatever I mean, we have people just organising stuff all the time, and that is phenomenal. It's, you know, you've got people who can't afford the the, the the patient transport service, people going up to Glasgow and all that, they'll just give you 20 quid to go, can you just make sure that goes in the bucket kind of thing. We've got, I, I mean, all over the place, you get, you know, I, I made a decision when I arrived here that I would sign all the thank you letters, like, by hand, right, because... <laughs> nice. it, you know I don't I I hate those kind of things where you you just think somebody's just got the photocopy around and they photocopy your signature all the time yeah so I made a decision that I would sign all the thank you letters which seemed like a really good idea at the time (laughs) right because there's bloody hundreds of them yeah but but what I'm what I'm reading is thank you for the donation of 30 quid in memory of your mum thanks for the donation of two two th- and two and a half thousand pounds for the, whatever. It's just, it's incredible range of giving. Yeah. And it's and it's the reasons why people are doing it. You know, I wrote a thank you letter to an eight year old.
1: Because oh, I, I, I was
0: really touched by her story and she's, her, her uncle was in here. Or it might've been a great uncle, but anyway. And he died in here and she'd been raising money for us, but unfortunately... He died before she was able to sit and say, I raised this amount of money. And he would have been so proud. So I wrote a card just saying, and she's eight. And I wrote and I just said, That's amazing. Uh, Your uncle would have been so proud of you, you know. Yeah. And just and it just the privilege of being able to write a letter like that. To an eight year old. To an eight year old, you know? And that and that's not unusual. Those those stories are not unusual. People just help us out all the time. And you know, one of the things I say is we strive to be here for you if you need us. Thank you for being here for us. Because it's it's just, it is overwhelming just how generous people are. You know, we've got the ball coming. We've got a ball, we have an annual ball. Do you? Coming up in the beginning of March. Is it sold out or are tickets no, still available? No, tickets still available. A few tickets still left. So, you know, if you fancy it, come along. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I I... The first bowl was three weeks after I first started, so I was a bit like rabbit in the headlights. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Going, what the hell's going on here? Uh, For anybody else who wants to get tickets, if they wanted to come, where would they get On them? our website, agarinhospice.org.uk. And it'll be hosted in Greenock? It's in the town hall in Greenock. And what's, do you remember the date? I think it's the 9th. Of March? Of March. I'll be there signing
1: autographs, taking pictures. That's cool. that, that'll that'll make sure nobody buys any tickets. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> get your tickets if anybody wants to come. You've heard the man, you've heard where you can get it. Yeah, them.
0: it's a great night, it's really yeah. good fun. But I, I remember that first time just being totally overwhelmed by all these people paying money to buy tickets, get dressed up to come and say, This is important to me. And I went to and I went around all the tables and I thought, you know, that's what I ought to do. I ought to go and say hello to everybody, you know. Um, out of my comfort zone, but you know that's what I did. And I went round, and there was a table where the guy said, "We come every year." I promised my wife that I would buy a table every oh. year. And you're like, "Good God, it's extraordinary!" Honestly, it's extraordinary. It's just this place is, you know, it, it's heartwarming. Yeah. So it costs nine and a half thousand a day to run this place. Nine and a half thousand a day. Yeah, because you know awards are really expensive. Uh we've got nurses who are going out into the community, we've got specially trained counsellors who are offering, you know the the problem of having a specialist service is it costs a lot of money See, to run.
1: Well that's a staggering amount of money to anybody yeah. but it's not not for what's being delivered in fact yeah. it's a bargain I, I know like it's not as easy as just saying to the government oh, go and just pay for all of it will you Yeah, but they, they, no. they really should be yeah, it's
0: there's a, there's a it's a really difficult one. We the the hospices in Scotland. Is there um, only
1: like fourteen in total? Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, we've been got, we've been having conversations with the government saying, you know, like for example, they did an increase in pay for nurses, which is amazing. That's yeah. great. Uh, nurses kind of ended up over a two year period getting a sixteen percent pay increase because of cost of living crisis and all of that sort of stuff. I don't begrudge him. I think that's a fantastic thing. We didn't get any extra money, mm. but if we need to keep staff, we need to pay more. So there's special. there's huge cha- challenges. The money challenges here are the things that keep you awake at night, you know. But I'm just blown away by how our community responds. You know, never let you down. No, it's a phenomenal place.
1: You know, she when you were telling the story about the, having the Chinese and the drinks and yeah, stuff, yeah. and here and Colette told me another one which is lovely and. Sadly, it didn't come to pass, but it was, it was the idea. Well, she was saying there was there was a patient with motor neuron disease and Colette was saying that he was a really keen diver yeah. and there was a place that he wished he could have gone diving. And her first thought was, could I get a virtual reality headset yeah. and make
0: that happen? I thought that is so... I really want to make that happen. When I got the job, I was working in London and uh, I was near Clapham. And I went, there's a hospice in Clapham. And I thought, oh, I better go and just... It'd be nice to see what they're doing because yeah. once I'm up here, I won't want to keep howking back down there. So uh, I went and the chief executive was really generous with time and stuff. And they said, oh, we're trying this new virtual reality stuff. I'm like, well, what's going on there? And I met this older woman. She was Jewish and she wanted to see Jerusalem, but she was dying. Oh, wow. And this guy in the hospital just went. Oh, I've got a VR set at home. Why don't I bring it in and we'll take her to Jerusalem? Such a good idea. It's a it's genius. I mean, it's yeah. really simple, isn't I it? I mean, the kit's a couple hundred. We really need. We really ought to get some. For me, it's not just about buying the kit. It's actually getting people to know how to use it. That's yeah. the trick. <laughs> um, but I watched this woman walk through Jerusalem, basically, and she. It was like. 10 15 minutes and it was using kind of youtube videos and whatever and she was just walking through and at the end i mean she was just sobbing we were all greeting and it was because it was just beautiful and she had done what she wanted to do and there is something for me in that that when people are here is the things that they want to do is the stuff that they you know like we we had a one of our healthcare assistants took somebody to the shore To just to see the sea, you know? And we know that around this part of the world, you know, we've both said it, we love the sea, and, yeah. you know, that I know that if I'm dying, I want to see the sea, you know what I mean? And so it's thinking about how do we do those things? How do we, how do we get better? One of the challenges for me is that hospices are often perceived as a bit twee, a bit nice mm-hmm. and there's a head movement that happens when you say you work at the hospice people kind of lean their head to one side and go oh you know and I'm like no this is an important place but we need to be at the cutting edge of where the need is mm. so very often the dangerous hospices can end up just being nice and working with nice people and doing nice things you know and actually, we're in an area with high levels of deprivation. We've got, we are with people who have got who huge issues. You know, as I said before, drug and alcohol is huge issues. Why are we not in those areas? So my ambition and the vision we've got for the next few years is that we rad, that we are moving out, that we take more complex patients with more complex needs. You know, if, if I say to you the the ward now is now busier than it ever has been we are now taking people with a wider range of need the challenge of that of course is we're now seeing younger people mm. so the number of people we've had in their 40s recently has really increased the challenge with that is of course they bring kids with them because they have very often got so our children's workers have been really pushed doing that support work But if we are true to our vision, which is we want to reach those areas that maybe we haven't been as good at and reaching, then we need to recognize we're going to have challenges about diagnoses and symptoms that we need to learn more about and how we're doing. We have challenges around how do we meet need? You know, it's going to be different. You know, we're even thinking things like do we change when we serve food? Because if we've got younger people coming in, most younger people don't want to sit and have their tea at five (laughs) o'clock. You know, yeah. You know, I'm somebody I generally eat about eight, nine o'clock. It's kind yeah, of me yeah, because that's just how life is. No, you come in here and we go. Well, your dinner's at five. I'll be like, yeah, and I, I, I <laughs> you know it. have a wee snack you know, at <laughs> five. You know, um, so I think it's affecting a lot of what we are doing because we're changing. We we are radically overhauling all of our services so that they are fit for reaching the community that we serve in a in a more relevant way and well, not as tweet. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what
1: I love about that is an absolutely no harm or no disrespect to them. There are a lot of services that say, this is a service we are, if you want it, come and get it. And the yeah. fact that you're saying, what
0: do you need and let us become that. Yeah. Can I, a really, really simple example of that was when I first arrived, um, we had a pa- patient who wanted a paper, right? So we got him a paper. And I just asked the question, do we ask everybody if they want a paper? I don't know if you've spent any time in hospital. I used to get kidney stones, and so I, was a, I had lots of time in the hospital. And it is the most boring place yeah. on the planet, right? It's the only place I read a newspaper from cover to cover and even do those really funny wee Japanese puzzles in the middle. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It is that kind of you thing. Draw a moustache in somebody's face. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, exactly. Who's, who wears glasses, you know, all <laughs> that. Uh, yeah. And so, and I'm saying, so have we thought about this for everyone? And it was like, oh no, but if the ass will get. And I absolutely know, if somebody wanted something, we would go, the staff would go to the nth degree to try and, yeah. yeah? But we weren't proactive, we were reactive. In other words, if somebody said they wanted something, we'd do it. I want us to be more proactive. So I said, right, we need to do it. So now when we go around at night and say, what do you want for breakfast in the morning? We also say, do you want a paper? And I now know that every day, we go out and get the papers for everybody. That's a really simple, almost silly example, but really important example of how we're trying to change from know, being reactive to proactive. It's like Does we that makes sense completely. It's like what we
1: were saying that the beauty and, and the value in things is in the detail, mm-hmm. and it kind of is like the if, you, if you're going to that those links, it might even just make them feel so valued or yeah. so cared for because it's like wow, something even as small as you'll come and say, what paper do you want? Yeah. Because it could kind of be, well, you're here to get better. You're not here to read the paper. Yeah. As, as unkind as that might sound, I, my, my grandpa had a, quite a sizeable stint in the hospital and I was up pretty much every day and it was bloody boring.
0: Oh, it's, it's terrible.
1: And you know, I, Even I was, as visitors, it's boring. You yeah, know what I mean? I would take my laptop and we'd watch stuff and yeah. we'd watch the football and all that. But yeah. I feel awful for so like, got, just we them.
0: So we've got we now got tablets that can every pa- patient can have access to a tablet, and I said we need things on there like we need. So we've got a Netflix account now, so people can you know watch films or sure. whatever. Um, but I rang the library, right? And this is this is an example of how working in partnerships really cool, right? So I rang the library and said, look, you've got a digital library that people have got an app, they can download books, a wee bit like having them on a Kindle, you can have them on your laptop or whatever and you can read your book. How how do I get, how do I do that for the patients on here? And they were, oh, that's a real problem because it needs to be a personal identity. Leave it with us. An hour later, they rang me and said, right, we're going to give each bed a library card. throw oh, it. Yeah? That's so so every on. bed here has got a library card the effective means they can use their tablet to go on and get a book yeah. now we're trying to find enough volunteers to help us make that better because it's a bit hit and miss at the minute because it's new and we're just trying something and whatever but you know in as we get better at it and as we get volunteers to help us do that it will become a really easy thing for us to do to say to somebody who's in a bed here's a tablet there's the library, there's Netflix, there's BBC iPlayer, whatever. Because one of the things here is the building's so old that we can't put new tellies on the wall for patients because the wall will like just crumble. Oh, yeah. So yeah. We, we're trying to be creative about that. But it, it it is about how do we make sure that we focus on what that per- what would work for that human. Yeah. And palliative care, the whole point of palliative care is... So Holly, who's our consultant, um, said to me once, and this has really stuck, that the word palliative comes from the Latin to cloak. And Mm. I really love the idea that our job is to just cloak people with care and love and compassion and empathy and all of those things. And that's our job. So if you imagine as soon as you walk in here, whether you're a visitor You're a, you know, you come to visit a mate or a parent or a daughter, or you're a patient. Our job is to cloak you with love and care and compassion. Damn, what a job you do! All of it, God,
1: you know, I you mentioned about volunteers. Yeah, how do people get in touch with you to
0: volunteer? And is there anything specific that you're looking for them to get in touch for? Oh, so Heather would love this. Heather's our volunteer coordinator, um, and she'll kill me because I should have at hand a list of things that we need. Um, so volunteering at ourgownhospice.org, uh, Heather will be delighted to hear from you. There is some stuff on our website about volunteering as well. But we're always looking at. We need our shops are always looking for volunteers. Uh, we drivers, if somebody fancies driving, I'll I'll that, sit here so well, I can't back out. I'll volunteer as a driver if you ever need me. Well. You've got my number, phone you, me. Right. I'll be, cool. p- do you know what? If I find out you needed somebody, you didn't phone me, I'll be pissed off. So, phone me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's amazing and great. There are so many things. One of the things that I'd like us to get to places we almost like have a bank of volunteers who can do missions. Uh, so, the idea like, so for example, if you're a patient who can't read anymore or can't hold a book or whatever, yeah. having somebody come in to read a book to them is just amazing, right? So, wouldn't it be amazing? if we could get to a place where somebody in the world could say, Trev needs this. Let's put something on, we use an app called Volunteero. Let's put something on Volunteero saying, Trev really fancies somebody reading the Bible to him or whatever. And volunteers can just go, well, I can do that. Oh, it's an hour in my life. Because yeah. the, the, the other challenge for volunteering is that volunteering has changed so much. We used to get, and charities all over will tell you this, when people retire, they'll come, and they'll go, oh, "I'll do a couple of days a week, I'll do whatever." When people retire now, they've sometimes got parents to care for, they've sometimes still got adult children living at home, yeah. they've got grandkids to look after, they've got cruises to have. you know there's, there's just so much. you know people who retire always tell me that I'm, I don't know how I managed to fit working. So the days of getting people volunteering for the hospice for days at an end, you know, like I'll do a day a week or whatever, it's hard. So we're now having to be... I think charities have to be a bit more creative. You mentioned an app there. Is that, that an app that anyone can download? Yeah,
1: Voluntero. Voluntero. That's right, found it. Now, so if I can do this as you're listening, if I can download this this quickly, so can you. Voluntero, so literally volunteer with a letter O
0: added at the end. There you go, I've downloaded it. Yeah, and if you look for our gown hospice, so you'll put your location in, and it'll come up with what we've got. So we advertise on there, but... Also, that's the app we use that we put a shout out for. Can somebody help us? And it's and it it comes back to that person centered stuff. You know, it's about us knowing the people we're serving and understanding what they need and what mm-hmm. would help and what would be useful.
1: Get get looking on that. If you've get even one percent as emotional as I have this whole time, then I'd imagine you'd want to volunteer as well. Volunteers am- a lot, back. but
0: volunteering is an amazing thing. Yeah. You know, it's it's not just about giving back. It's also about finding, you know, sharing something you're good at. Yeah, you know, that's always a good thing to do. It's about you know, for people who are looking for work, it's a great chance to just get active and do something. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a whole range of things that pays off in volunteering, and it's good fun. I mean, volunteering's fun. Yeah, I bet. I love driving. I
1: love driving people places. Yeah. You know, in another life, I would love to just be a taxi driver. <laughs> <laughs> talk shit, and drive yeah. to people. Talk I, drive, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've already done the Have you just talk started? Have you got long to go? <laughs> Don't they, all the
0: questions we use in a taxi.
1: I know, I like it. I would like it if somebody, and I might start doing it with taxi drivers, just asking them just right off the bat, just being like, so how would you resolve the Israeli-Palestine... <laughs> Jennifer's got to mm, don't really get into that one too Well, much. there's
0: some London cabbies who would proffer that opinion as soon as you get in. You know I,
1: mean? I, know. <laughs> I know. I just like, so how would you, you know, deal with a socio economic downturn? Like, what would you, <laughs> so, you know they probably have all sorts of answers? It's kind of like yeah. when when Rangers entered like mad financial trouble. All of a sudden, every taxi driver was like a corporate finance expert, <laughs> <laughs> telling you what a company voluntary arrangement was and all that. You're like, bloody hell, this is a pure education. <laughs> um, I already obviously know the answer to this, but in your own words, like you've you've obviously got this vast experience, you could go and I've no doubt you could go and do a lot of high flying jobs. What is it that keeps you working here specifically? Because um, you're entitled to go
0: and do as well for yourself.
1: Yeah,
0: I mean, for me, I mean, it, it, partly the privilege thing. Um, if you cut me open you would find social justice would be the words that spring out of me. And, and this place is, we need to be better at meeting the needs of those on the margins. And for me, my driver here, so my driver here is that in about five years time, we become, we win some award for being the best hospice in the UK. Right, and I, I'm I'm a bit flippant about it, but there's also a wee part <laughs> it's good of me. To ha, it's good to have that. There's target. a wee part me that would love to stand up at the Hospice UK conference one year and get a wee award, not for me, but for for the hospice because I recognise that we've been we are doing so much here, so much change, but it's yeah. all focused on making things better for the people of everclyde I. Want us to be in areas that we've never been in. I want us to work with people we've never worked with. I want us to make sure that anybody who needs support in palliative care in that last twelve months a year of life that that we are there for them and that we meet the need you know um we've got an aging population here, so that means more people will be dying here yeah you know uh, people in poverty tend to have lower health outcomes i mean i literally driving from london to here i lost eight years of my life I know. in terms of average life expectancy so just by leaving brixton and living in guruk insane, isn't it? i lost eight years right now that's that's really in your face that's that's very stark so you know i i think and also i mean i when the when i was offered the job I was offered online, so I had my interviews. at Buzzum, right? Because I thought I'm not driving up from London to sit in an hour in a hotel in Greenock to then get back in a car and drive back down. So I said, if if you want to interview me, I'll I'll do it online. And they kind of went, oh well, but they eventually they agreed, and it was great. And I did so, I did the interview online. I got a phone call later saying we'd like to offer you the job, and I'm like you sure you know what i mean because i was pretty straight about what i bring um you know i'm somebody who does change that's what i'm here for uh, i'm somebody who's very passionate about putting patients and people at the center of everything we do um um and they said yep no we want you and i said well okay I'll, i i won't make my final decision until i meet the trustees right so I made this big thing. The trustees were having an away day in a couple of weeks' time. So I thought, well, I'll come up for there. I'll come up for a couple of days. I'll see the area and uh, maybe start looking around. And But I won't say yes to it until I've met the trustees. And I walked into the building for my interview with the chair, you know, just to meet the chair and then to go and meet the trustees. And as I sat in the reception area, I just went, yeah, this is it. I didn't need to... I didn't need to. I didn't need to meet the trustees. I knew as soon as I started, this place gets under your skin really quickly.
1: Honestly, I w- I, I didn't see it because I thought, oh, you sound as if you're making it up and cliched. Second, I walked in the door and stood in the wee reception, but and I was like, there's just this energy here mm. so for a place just... which should be enshrouded in sadness. There yep. just was a vibrant,
0: nice energy. Just everything about the place as yeah. soon as you walk in. Yeah. So I so the chair the chair came and said hi Graham good to meet you and I said yes <laughs> he's out. and he's that's, like what and I went it. I don't need to meet you all <laughs> I'm I'm he- I'm here you know this is where well, it is. That, so it's amazing man. it's an amazing place yeah
1: it really is and it's full of amazing people and you all doing an an incredible job there's there's always a danger <clears throat> or the sort of risk of being patronized you know the whole fucking clap for carers yeah, yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah and, and, that was and, and, bad wasn't it yeah well it was so bad. Remember, like,
1: yeah, I mean, I did and it. they were
0: partying. I know. So I don't get me fucking no, started know. on that.
1: They I, were partying. I know. I know. It's Kevin Bridges said that down the street was like fucking Magaluf, <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> and everybody, you know, yeah. It's 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 pretty despicable. But the whole clap for Carers thing was just this utter bullshit.
0: Yeah. Like, applause doesn't they pay um, yeah. electricity bills, I'm afraid. Yeah. And in that but, bit you said earlier, but there's that picking up on that idea that. You know, at that time, people were not able to be with the person that they loved most in the world as they died. Yeah. You know, and people were going were not able to go to the funeral. People were not able to. People were saying goodbye over an iPad. I know it was horrific. And they're partying. You know what I mean? I know it was horrific. Well, thankfully, we've seen the back
1: of them for a for a long time. Hope (laughs) so. I, ideally in May but it looks as if it's going to be in November yeah. tune in to Blethered at the Ballot podcast by the way where I am going to be sitting down with politicians and political figures and journalists of length and breadth of the country that's a good wee plug for that oh, that's nice basically I'm I'm not going in to be combative I'm not going in to be adversarial or debate with them I'm going in to say so tell me so tell me then mm. and we've got people from the Scottish National Party Labour Conservatives Reform um, there, are, there are a couple would have drawn the line. Um, you can think of the most obvious high-profile ones where I'm like, nah, nah. But I, I will be sitting down with people. Actually, I've got the shadow finance minister for the Scottish government, um, the Conservatives, coming on, and I think that will surprise people because you're like, I, normally I'd be like, no,
0: like I, I have no interest in speaking to you, but I do. Because I'm like, okay, well, I want to hear what you've got to say. But it, 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 politics and death are quite interesting, aren't they? Because we don't like talking about death. But we're actually not very good about talking about politics either. Yeah. As in, we hold views. But do we ever really talk about those views? Do of, we ever really explore why we think that what we think?
1: Yeah, I, I think... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, we're, no. we're
0: actually all mongrels. We're yeah. all political mongrels. there's, so a, there's a, a, lot... a There's a website, and I can't remember the name of it, where you, it has a load of statements, and it will kind of tell you whether you yeah, are what party you really ought to vote for because of the statements. Yeah, And I would always consider myself left of centre, right? And I came out as left of centre. Actually, I came out as a green Did you? according yeah. to that, which was a bit of a, that made me go, I can't really? remember what mine was. I just remember it being on the left. But there was a couple of bits that I was Tory, and I'm like, no, that can't be right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but actually, we, you know, the yeah. reality is, if you look at the whole breadth of political kind of a, yeah. Areas well, we I, will all be a mix of stuff, yeah, and we just I, never talk about that. I don't think there's anything wrong with being socially
1: conservative or having fiscally, con- or f- you know, conservatives, ugh, fucking hell, try again, conservative in the sense of like fiscal preservation and playing it safe. Mm. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. What I do think there's something completely wrong with is unfairness and, yeah, and, and a lack of justice. Yeah. And that's when I think then when I come up against people that you, I suppose are diametrically opposed to politically that a wee part of me is like, I'm not fucking speaking to you. However, politics, what is the very basis of it, is
0: compromise, isn't yeah. it, and finding a common ground. We wouldn't have had the Good Friday Agreement Oh if my God! people yeah. hadn't spoken to people who are diametrically opposed to each other. People need to. Did you watch Once Upon a Time in Northern Ireland? no I haven't seen that
1: oh it is a must watch how I am, is it I implore you and everybody listening to watch it so it's a five part documentary and it goes 60s 70s 80s 90s 2000s right 60s 70s 80s 90s that's five. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's like a black backdrop and people just sit down and they do it does that whole Netflix style thing where they're chatting while they think they're not being recorded and all that and they have people who were, you know, lost family members from from each side—Catholic, Protestant—and it tells the story, and they're telling it as they see it. Yeah, you've got like a, a UDA assassin gunman, or you've got IRA gunman, and they're speaking from how they felt at the time, and they're speaking very present tense. Fucking, I hate Protestants. Why wouldn't I? There's this, that, and the next thing, and it goes on, and as it goes on you see the arc of their personal development and how they started to realize they had far more in common, how they started to kind of mix at times. Then you speak to people, a guy whose wife and child was blown up by an IRA bomb mm. and you're watching this and you know get people whose parents were taken away and bodies never found and then it comes to them saying why they voted f- in favour of the Good Friday Agreement and I watched one of the episodes on a flight from Barcelona to London, and their hostess tapped me, like, are you okay? Because I was pure, again, yeah. I have good form, forget getting a wee bit obsessed stuff <laughs> But it was impossible not to be rocked by what you right. were seeing. Like, I remember watching it and going, oh, like this, and take a breath. And then, for me, when you get to the point, and peace did come, and by the way, like, no problem in saying this, there were certain things where I looked at myself, and I felt really ashamed at not recognising or understanding the severity and the real life consequences of what people had endured over yeah. there. Yeah, and the fact that they were able to, to to go, do you know what? I have to vote for this, and my wife's killers have to be free because if I don't, some it was so profound, and you're like, Jesus Christ! Like, yeah, we- scriptwriters couldn't have come up with this, and I thought, if they can do that. I can sit down with the shadow finance minister for the Scottish Conservatives. Yeah, we, must,
0: we must. We must always keep talking to people because so the, the one of the challenges about social media is it's pushed us into our own wee enclave. Oh yeah, wee bubble, and we're we're just all gravitating to the edges. Yeah, and we're not actually sitting down and having those conversations. Well, I'm, and I, as I, I say, politics and death for me. We we absolutely need to be having conversations yeah. about politics. They need to be open and frank and whatever. I mean, I I remember going to a church service uh, in London and it was a church I was kind of trying out and whatever. And uh, they had a day where they didn't have a sermon or anything like that. They had three politicians, all members of their church, all from different parties, talking about their experience of being, of their faith yeah. and their political beliefs. And I was like, that was amazing. What an amazing thing to happen that they the three of them were talking in a way that was open they disagreed but they disagreed in a way that was about well how do we how do we move forward Mm. and that's we 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 can't we need to have those conversations yeah we'll we 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 just sit in our preconceived and our settled ideas and we're not willing to move on those ideas because i'm right you're wrong yeah i mean that works isn't it it's it's all about
1: finding that common ground because at the end of the day if there's 10 of us and we all think 10 different things, well, we're stuck in this bit of land together. Yeah. So if we, we either want to get somewhere, we're going to have to speak. You know, and so the idea of the podcast as well was to make political conversation, debate, and, and you know, subjects accessible to those who wouldn't normally participate. Nice. You know what I say? Like, I think it was Descartes said, you know, you might not take an interest in politics, but you, rest assured, politics will take an interest in you. Yep. I kind of want to take that to people and it's not even being like, I will single-handedly alter the outcome of the election but it's like do you know what I am going to layman's terms mm. and I will say to people I'm like well because that's one of the jobs I do in breakfast TV is like political debate and discussion to me it feels very natural even when it comes down to terminology and jargon and, yeah. and names and who does this and who does that and it's absolutely not to insult anybody's intelligence but I will be saying to whoever I'm speaking to I'll be like no no simplify it you yeah. Take your wee codes and your wee language and you can shove them. Speak to me like a human. Yeah. Because these are their everyday
0: real life things. Wait, the other thing is is we never give, the media rarely gives, because, because time, things just oh, yeah, so things happen so it, quick. And that means people don't answer. Yeah. So like you're asking a simple question, do you think this should happen? And they don't answer, yeah, actually I do. Be because it. they're so worried about being being caught for a wee sentence, yeah. That is then going to be on a headline. It has been, and we need space, we been, need space. Yeah. So I, that's great you're doing it because we need it, destruct- it's
1: been the destruction of our political, yeah, framework because it is a sound bites, yeah. And it's like, no, tell me what you think, and they'll be getting Paxman because I'll be getting in there knowing the truth, yeah. Obviously, if they can give their opinion, but if you try and divert or distort reality. I will, mate. I will hand you your ass on a plate. Don't yeah. try me, but I will give you the absolute respect and yeah. time and space. I'm like, well, go on then. Tell us. Yeah. The rest is politics. Has been great for that. do you listen to that? Yes, look, I've yeah, yeah. some of them. So it's Alistair Campbell and Rory yeah. Stewart, two right. people the total opposite end of the spectrum that have become their catchphrases disagree agreeably. Yeah, um, but they get people on their podcast leading, and they give them space this week. And by the way. If I'd like even Jerry Adams and stuff on it, and you're like, wow, mm. and Rory Stewart for his military background, and he's a proper yeah Union Jack waiver, as uh, Union Jack, Union Jack flag waver as is his absolute right. But I thought, wow, hearing him sitting with talking to Jerry Adams, yeah, and they kind of went at each other a wee bit, and there was a it got a wee bit fiery. But at the end, they're like, well, that was a conversation that got us somewhere, and it's I think conversation
0: brings about understanding, yeah, and. We, we, our society is and I, I don't know how much the m- mainstream media is to, to blame for that and how much social media has just exacerbated that but we just don't create spaces for conversations hmm. and you can say that about lots of things you know you can say about politics you can say about death there's a whole part of it we, we don't we just retract into our uh, core beliefs yeah which are kind of you know, how do we get those? Well, they're handed to us by parents yeah. and by ex- some experiences. So they're clouded by all that. Do you know what I think? What I've taken from this whole chat as well is we're all heading
1: one way. Let's be nice to each other and let's enjoy it. Yeah. If, if I could take any sort of key takeaway. But it's be, this has been great. Yeah. Live life. Yeah. Enjoy
0: life. Aye. And when it gets a bit sticky, there are people around who can help. I mean, it's, it's not more complex than that is it? It's simple well I encourage
1: you to get involved to your listening whether it's volunteering or donating um, because I, I couldn't think of a more worthy being, um, recipient and cause so well, thank you very much for no, having thanks. me.
0: thanks it's been
1: great it's great you know I'm, f- I'm going to go away I'll probably get a wee bit upset as I think about stuff as I drive away, <laughs> but that, that's just me. I'm just a bit already like that. But um, do you know, what? I'm leaving 10 times better, feeling 10 times better than I arrived. I feel uplifted. Good. So thank you very cool. much. Wow, thank you. Yeah, thanks and talk. thanks to Colette for helping getting this yeah. organised as well. And thank you, as always, for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Blithered. Cheers. Right. I'll
0: give a little bit. Give a little bit of my life for you. So give a little bit, or give a little bit of your time to me. See the man.